All right, we're in week number two of what we started last week, a series entitled, In the Beginning, God. And I want to read from Genesis chapter one, verse one. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if you're reading this in your actual Bible, it goes through in verses two through 30 and starts to list out everything that God created as he was making creation. Then it gets down to verse number 31, and it says this. It says, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was what? Come on, you're whispering. I said, behold, it was what? God saw everything that he had made, and his, his final declaration when he looked at his creation, he said that it is very good. What that means for us is that God is good, and everything good in our lives has got to start off with God. That means if I want to have a good marriage, I can't just run and get married on my own because we in love. We got to make sure our marriage starts off with God at the forefront. That means God's got to be at the helm. God's got to be directing it. God's got to be the one giving us instruction on how to relate to each other. If I want my business to flourish, if I want my business to succeed, if I want to look up at the end of my fiscal year and the books say very good, I need to make sure I start my business off with God. That don't mean I just pray and have some praying hands and fish on my business cards. It means that I operate my business with godly principles. It means, watch this, that I seek the face of God and I ask God to give me instruction on how to walk out what I walk out. If I want it to be very good, it needs to have God at the forefront. See, anytime we put God first, not only do we honor God, but we also bless ourselves because God is a shield against any unnecessary delays, any unnecessary drama, and any unnecessary disaster. In fact, I'd say it this way, God's way is perfect and God's word is proven. His way is perfect. His way is the right way. Even when we can't understand it, God's way is the right way. In fact, say God is right all the time. Come on, say it again. God is right all the time. He is right all the time, and that means if I follow him, listen to him, I got a much better chance of being over here on the side of things going right and being very good. So here we are in week number two. I I want our topic today to be this. In the beginning, God created rhythm. I don't mean like, you know, that kind of rhythm. In the beginning, God created rhythm. Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Verse 3 of Genesis 1 says, Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And then God saw the light, that the light was good. But he still divided the light from the darkness. The light he called day, the darkness he called night, so the evening and the morning were the first day. The Bible tells us that God saw the light he created. He looked at it and said, It's good, but it was still necessary in God's mind for him to create the rhythm of day and night. So it wasn't going to be all day, and it wasn't going to be all nighttime. See, I know a lot of you thought that DeBarge is the one who came up with the rhythm of the nights. (laughs) But it really was God who came up with the rhythm of daytime and the rhythm of nighttime, which means he didn't want it to be all day, he didn't want it to be all night. There's a rhythm that God has there. In Genesis 8, verse 22, it says, as long as the earth remains... There will be seasons of planting and seasons of harvest, times of cold and times of heat. There'll be summer and there'll be winter. And then again, it says there will be day and there will be night. There's a rhythm there. Everybody shout, there's a rhythm there. Come on, there's a rhythm there, right? There's, a, there's cold and then there's heat. It's not all cold, it's not all heat. There's day and there's night. There's summer, then there's winter. There's a rhythm there. The definition of rhythm is this. It's a strong, regular 
repeated pattern of movement or sound. A strong, regular, repeated pattern of movement or sound. I happen to have in our drum cage right here one of our, our teenagers, Micaiah Lowen. She's a beautiful young lady, and she, she's very talented. She sings, I mean, like an angelic being, but she's never been trained to play the drums. And so I've asked her to come and demonstrate her drum playing skills to us. Would you demonstrate, sweetheart? Okay. I mean, that was cute, but it'd be kind of hard to sing a song to that. I mean, she, did, she put forth a lot of effort, but it'd be hard for us to sing a song to that beat because there was no rhythm to it. Put your hands together for Micaiah. Now, as Micaiah exits the drum cage, Errol's going to step into the drum cage. Errol's not nearly as cute as Micaiah. But he's a professional drummer, and a professional drummer is going to bring a rhythm that a person who hasn't been trained on the drums doesn't bring. Let's see what he's got. Hey. Come on, put your hands together for Harold. Come on, both of them did a good job. Both, both of them put forth effort, but one had a rhythm that the other one didn't have. And in life, God is expecting for our lives to have a rhythm to them. In fact, there is life and beauty in rhythm, routine, and seasons. When there is no rhythm, watch this, there ends up being chaos and confusion. When our lives don't have a good rhythm to them, when we're just kind of a leaf blown in the wind and we haven't really set good rhythm for our lives, we end up experiencing chaos. We end up experiencing confusion. Just like everything else that God created, human beings also need rhythm if we expect to survive and to thrive. One of the downfalls and one of the struggles that came along with the pandemic Thank God we've kind of moved to a place where that's not dominating our everyday lives. And if I'm honest, there, there's some parts of that season that I kind of miss. I miss how we used to spend a, a lot of extra time with family during that time. I love how our schedule slowed. Come on, help me out. Our schedule slowed down enough to where the busyness of the outside wasn't dominating. But one of the downfalls, one of the side effects of the pandemic is that a lot of people lost their rhythm in life. A lot of us adjusted to the pandemic, and we've been struggling to get back to a rhythm. A lot of us took a pause from things that really mattered so we could survive and make it through that season where it was dominating our lives, and some people are still stuck in a pandemic kind of a rhythm. And that pandemic rhythm kind of sounds like young Micaiah because there's no real beat to it. You can't really follow up. We can't predict what's coming next. And what God wants us to do is recognize it is past time to get your rhythm back past time to get your beat back. Come on, say amen, somebody. Amen. Past time to get back to the place to where there's some predictability in your life and those important areas. And I want to give you three areas in particular where you need your rhythm. We need to have, number one, a rhythm of work. A rhythm of work. 
When the Bible talks about prosperity, God doesn't talk about prosperity as us walking outside with a bucket and he raining money down from heaven. When God talks about our prosperity, he's literally talking about him blessing our work. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 12, he says this. He says, the Lord will send rain at the proper time from his rich treasury in the heavens. Watch this. And he will bless all the work that you do. One translation says, he will bless the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but you will never need to borrow from them. Anybody receive that? I said, anybody receive that? Anybody over here receive that you'll be the one doing the lending, not doing the borrowing? Well, he said that one of the blessings that is promised in Deuteronomy 28 is that we can get to a place where we're the one doing the lending and we don't need to be the one doing the borrowing. But in order for that to happen, he says it happens because he blesses the work that we do, which means why says, if I don't do any work, I'm not giving him anything to bless. If I'm not putting my hands to something, then I'm not giving God anything that he can actually breathe on and he can actually bless. And see, so many people have this mindset where we think that, 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 that work is somehow another curse. Can I tell you that work is a blessing? I know some of y'all thought the devil came up with work. It wasn't his idea. Work is not a curse. Work is a blessing. In fact, when you read the book of Genesis chapter 2, before Adam and Eve sinned in chapter 3, God not only gave Adam a job, he gave him two jobs. He told him to dress and to keep the garden. Can I tell you this? Can, can I just take a little side journey? He gave him two jobs before he gave him a woman. I just knew the ladies was going to say amen to that. It is out of order. It's out of rhythm to have a woman you don't have a job. better say amen. I'll come out there and preach it right to you. In fact, if you go back and study it in Genesis, and this is how we get things out of order sometimes. Not only did Adam have a job, Adam had a job. He had some gold. He had some food. Go back and read it. He had some running water through his his house. (laughs) Everything that was needful to sustain life, God gave that to Adam before he gave him an Eve. This will teach us a lesson, brothers. That means that when Eve was created, when she opened up her eyes, she didn't open up her eyes to an eviction notice. She didn't open up her eyes, and we're trying to figure out how we're going to take care of the bills. And I'm simply saying that for you to understand how your wife, how your woman thinks. She was built by God to need security. Ladies, I'm trying to help you out. You better say amen. If the girl needs security, it's not, it's not that she don't trust you. It's not that she don't believe your plan. She just doesn't work well with, we'll figure it out. She, she, doesn't, she doesn't do well with, just trust, just trust me, baby, I got this. I got this, don't worry about it, I got this. Well, she know you got this, but how you got this? What's the plan that got this? She needs to know the plan. It's not because she's being mean or being distrusting. It's because God built that wife to need some security. And she needs to know what the plan is. Can I get an amen, somebody? She needs to understand what the, the, the plan is so she can then trust that the plan that God has given you that he's put in place, you're able to work that plan. 
I'll say this now, and I hope this doesn't offend any of you, but it's a truth. I think it's a truth that as a pastor, I need to share with you. The social service system is one of the worst things to ever happen to the black community. Stay with me. Don't disconnect. Stay with me. The social service system, when it was created, watch this, it was intended to be a bridge. It was intended to be a bridge so in case a person lost their job, in case they fell on hard times, in case they got hit with a sickness and they, they, they couldn't work anymore, it was supposed to be a bridge so that if you hit a bad time, it'd be a bridge to help you get over here to a better time. It was never intended to be a career move. And one of the worst things that is happening, especially in the inner city communities, is that we've created a whole community of people who have this expectation that somebody else is supposed to do for them with no work attached to that benefit. And God's system is not that way. God's system is work for reward. You do well, and you reap the benefits of doing well. Come on, say amen, somebody. And what we got to understand is when we put ourselves in a posture where we have people in our circle... And I'm not saying you can't be a blessing to somebody, you can't help somebody out a time or two, but it's never supposed to be set up where we just give, 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 and that other person on the other end has no sweat equity in the game. Because God designed us, hear me out, to need work. See, we need work not just for our financial well-being, we need work for our mental well-being. There's something to be said for a man that, 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 that is able to take care of his family. That's why if you've ever noticed, men don't do well. Men, men shouldn't do well when we're out of work for extended periods of time. My, my stepdad, my mom remarried when I was about 12 years old, and my stepdad was in the military. So he was in the Army. We were, he was stationed out at Fort Lewis out in Washington. And so we were out there for a year, and uh, we were getting ready to go head to Germany. He had orders to go to Germany, so we were getting ready to move over to Germany. And he had gone out into the field for a, a, field, a training exercise. And during his training exercise, he inadvertently got hit in the head with the barrel of a, of a gun. And uh, didn't appear to be any, any significant damage at the time. But a few months later, he started having, had never had them before, but started having seizures. And uh, as we were on leave, getting ready to head to Germany, he ends up having a, a, a grand mal seizure and ends up in the hospital, in a military hospital being taken care of by military doctors. So he's registered in a military hospital, and he was in the hospital long enough that we didn't make our date to make it to Germany. And so because we didn't make it to Germany at the time we were supposed to be in Germany, even though he was in a military hospital, they had him listed as AWOL. Gets out of the hospital, the military police show up at the house and arrest him, put him in jail, and end up giving him a dishonorable discharge. This is a man who was a decorated soldier, who had plans to be a career soldier. I mean, every review he ever came up for got the highest honors that there were. And now he's out of the, out of the military, dishonorably discharged, careers taken away from him. Now is listed as having seizures, so there's certain places he can't even get work. And I saw a man who was a strong pillar for his family, who provided for his family, who, who at first I didn't like him because I didn't want anybody to date my mother, but I grew to love him and honor him and respect him and call him dad. And I saw the same man become violent, become abusive, and took a downward spiral. Why? Because his ability to work and provide for his family was snatched away from him. Now, the good news at the end of the story is that he and my mom eventually you know, took a lawsuit and, and, and challenged the government 
And after the case was heard, he was restored, was given an honorable discharge. Come on, back pay was restored to him. But can I tell you, by, by then, though, our family was split up and, and the damage had been done. The point I'm making is we need work. And especially men, especially men need, men don't need to just be handed things without the ability to exert some sweat equity toward it. Because it's not just a matter of having provision in our hand. Our mental makeup needs to know, I put forth effort for what came back to me. Shout amen, somebody. Now, we need work, but watch this. Work can end up feeling like a curse if we're working in the wrong place. Or if our work has gotten out of proper balance or out of proper rhythm. There's a rhythm that God expects for us to have at our work, which means our lives cannot just be consumed with work. And since work, or since rhythm, I should say, is defined as a strong, regular, repeated pattern, our work life should be strong, it should be regular, and it should be consistent. Which is why I have a, a tip for all, all of you single people. How many single folks I have in the house? Come on, if you're single, raise your hand. I'm trying to bless your ministry. <laughs> Come on, look around. You, you to turn around and look around. You never know who. The Lord might be speaking to somebody. I'm sitting here trying to bless your ministry. You're doing this. You're supposed to be out there. Hey! <laughs> never know what the Lord may be working on, man. But here's a tip for all you single people. If a person has no rhythm in their work life as a single person, then there's no reason for you to have an expectation they're going to develop a rhythm in their work life as a married person. Which means, watch this, if they are a workaholic as a single person, they're probably going to still be a workaholic when they marry you. Or if they're constantly in between jobs as a single person, that's a red flag and a half because <laughs> they're probably going to live their married life in between jobs and you're going to be frustrated. Why do you say that? Because, you know, when you're watching TV and they show the trailer for a movie and you see those scenes in the movie, you go, ooh, ooh, all right, okay. How I many know it shouldn't be a surprise when you get to the theater and see the same scenes? Because the scenes from the movie are what make up the trailer. Dating is the trailer, marriage is the movie. So if you don't like what you're seeing in the trailer, don't go to the movie. <laughs> right? Here's another rhythm we need. We need a rhythm of rest. So we need a rhythm for our work, but we also need a rhythm of rest. Exodus chapter 34, verse 21 says, you shall work six days. How many days did he say? Six. Come on, I can't hear. How many days did he say? Six. You shall work six days, but on the seventh day... You shall pick up an extra shift at work or go to your third job so you can make sure you get that bag. That's not what he said. I mean, that's what you would assume he says. But what he says is you should work six days, but on the seventh day, you should do what? Rest. rest. Even during the plowing season, he says you ought to still get some rest. Even if it's harvest time. Even if you watch it. Even if you're leaving some grain on the, in the field. Take your day to rest even in the harvest time. And then Jesus came back and clarified, gave some balance in Mark chapter 2, verse 27. Jesus said to them, the Sabbath, or Shabbat, was made for man. Man was not made for the Sabbath. 
And what Jesus was actually saying is this, don't get stuck on the rules of the Sabbath, but instead embrace the spirit of the Sabbath. What he's trying to do, I think he was speaking to them, but also to us, because you get some folks today that you know, they, they, they study a little scripture and then they get too smart for their own good. Then they walk around telling everybody else that we're wrong because you're not honoring the Sabbath. And they change their whole apparel and change their last name, and all of a sudden you, you know, you Ishmael somebody. Mama named you Jerome, but now you Ishmael because you done <laughs> studied a little bit. See, in Israel, the, the, the Sabbath or Shabbat is from sundown on Friday to essentially sunset on Saturday. But God is not requiring us today to separate sundown Friday to sundown Saturday and do no work in that 24-hour period. But what he does require still today is that we honor the spirit of the Sabbath. What he still requires today is that there needs to be one day out of your seven that you set aside and do no work, that you set aside to rest, to recalibrate, to get your wind back, to not just rest physically, but even rest mentally. Give me an amen, somebody. Amen. Give me a better amen, somebody. Amen. See, every person needs a consistent day of rest within the seven-day cycle. See, this rhythm is a blessing to our entire being, spirit, soul, and body. See, God promised to us that man, the span, God, God set the span of man's life. I want you to really lock in here. Pay attention. The span of a man's life, God set it to be 120 years. That means even scientifically, I've done some teaching on this. I don't have time to get into it deep today. But even scientifically, medically, they have, they have, they have shown that the cells in your body, they reproduce, and they, they have the ability to keep reproducing up to 120 years. After that, they, they, they no longer continue to reproduce or to, to multiply. And, and, and the, the scientists don't, can't figure it out, but we know it's because God set the span of a man's life at 120 years. And if you go back and read it in Genesis, that seemed like a lot to us. But at the time he said that as for man, his day shall be 120 years, it was really kind of a punishment, or he, he was trying to keep man from destroying himself because man living a longer time, he was getting more and more wicked. And if you go back to when he said that, it was at a time when men were living to be 700 years old, 800 years old, if you died as a teenager, you were like 450. <laughs> and God said, from now on, man's life is going to be 120 years, which means today, hear me out, mankind has the ability to live up to 120 years if we take care of ourselves, if we eat right, drink right, rest right. And the reason why we don't see more people living to be that long, you see it every now and then. I saw a woman on social media yesterday in Texas, 114 years old. But the reason why you don't see more people living that long is for a couple reasons. Number one is because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And somewhere along the line, we heard somebody say that the days of man are three score years and ten. And some are four score, then we fly away. And what happened is some preacher read that over in the book of Psalm number 90. And three score and ten mean is 70. Four score is 80. So we set 70 or 80 as the goal for how long we should live. And as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. If you think 70 or 80 is the top of the scale, then when you hit 60, you start mentally winding down. You'll start physically winding down. Before you know it, you find yourself where we are today, that the average span of a person's life when they've lived a good life is about 72 years of age. Well, that's because people set that as the goal. God never set that as the goal. Give me an amen, somebody. Amen. He said, but it's in the Bible. Yes, yeah, in the Bible, but God didn't say it. There's a lot of things in the Bible that God didn't say. 
God said the span of a man's life shall be 120 years. Well, who said 70 or 80? Go back and read it in Psalm number 90. It was Moses who said that. And Moses wasn't saying this is how long you should live. He was being a news reporter. The children of Israel were walking through the wilderness, and Moses was reporting that God's wrath is resting on us. And what I'm noticing is some people are living to be three score and 10. Some are living to be 70, and the really strong ones are making it to 80. He never intended for that to become our goal. So what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying, lift your goal up, man. Start, start confessing, I'll live to be 120 years of age. Come on, open up your mouth and say, say I'll live to be 120 years of age. Some of you are scared to even open up your mouth and say that. Come on, say, I'll live to be 120 years of age. I don't mean 120 and somebody got to carry you around. I'm talking about 120 like Moses. Come on, somebody. Your eyesight hadn't even gotten dim. Come on. You're natural. You're still strong in the midst of it. You got to get a change of expectation. You say, what if I don't make it to 120? If you die prematurely at 95, that's still better than 58. Here's the other reason why we don't see more people making it to the 120 that God promised. Because so many people use up their 120 years in 60. They burn up their hours in 60 years. Then the body gives out because the body is a machine. It's like me handing you my car. To, you, you get a chance to borrow my car. and You just drive it, drive it, drive it, drive it, drive it. You never rest it. You never change the oil. never change the transmission fluid. never get it checked out. Then you hand it back to me with 300,000 miles because it's all broke down and say something wrong with this car. Ain't nothing wrong with the car. Something wrong with how you taking care of the car. And I used to be one of those people. I used to pride myself, man. I used to pride myself. Oh, I haven't had a vacation in seven years. Ha, 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 ha. Off days. I don't know nothing about off days. Ha, 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 ha. And I thought I was being diligent until I realized I was really in sin. So how's that sin? Because this body is not your own. That body doesn't belong. That body's on loan. God has loaned us these bodies so that we can stay down here on this planet to do the work he's called us to do. It is a sin to run his body raggedy, never rest it, never put the right fuel in it. Come on, somebody. Never exercise it and then watch it break down right in front of our eyes. It was 1999 when I went on my first real vacation. And uh, April and I went on a cruise with, with our two best friends, the Gregory's, and it was our first cruise ever, had never been on a cruise before. And, and uh, because it was my first cruise, you know, nobody told me that when you leave the, the dock and get out there in the water, your cell phone wasn't going to work. And I'm workaholic Bishop Davis at the time. I'm Pastor Davis, the workaholic. And this church cannot go on if they don't hear from me every day. I need to check on everybody. Because I'm baby Jesus. I need to check on everybody. <laughs> so I got out there in the water and boom, no signal. So I reached for the little phone in the, in the room at that time. And it had a little sign on it that says, these calls are $10 per minute. <laughs> and I realized right away wasn't nobody on land worth talking to <laughs> at <laughs> $10 a minute. So for seven days, true story, seven days, I couldn't call back to check. Every now and then when we stopped at a port, I'd be able to get a phone call back for a couple minutes just to make sure everything was okay. But you know what I realized when I got back? I realized that life can go on without me being here every step of the way. I realized that the people around me were actually competent enough to do their jobs without me looking over their shoulder all the time. And guess what? I know some of you are little baby Jesus is just like I used to be. 
and you're convinced that the world cannot go on if you're not on your post, if you're not doing your job, if you ever take a day off, if you ever take a vacation. But I have news for you. If something were to happen to you, guess what's going to happen? Everybody going to cry at your funeral. They're going to talk about how amazing you were. They're going to sing some really good songs, and the next day they're going to move on. And somebody else is going to be on your job doing the thing that you've been doing. What are you saying, Pastor? Don't kill yourself for somebody's job. Don't run. Come on, don't run yourself in the ground because you never rest. Learn how to slow down and get a rhythm where you work hard, you do your job, and then you rest really well. See, I believe in vacation. Vacation means to vacate. Get out of your normal surroundings. Give your whole system a chance to recalibrate. So when you plug back in to what you're called to do, you can do it with some energy and with some fresh vision. Can I get an amen? amen. I said, can I get an amen? amen? See, it is not a sin to be unavailable simply because you are resting and recalibrating with no explanations due. Can you come to my, no, no, I'm not available that day, sweetheart. What what you got going on? I'm not available that day. But what you doing? Uh, I'm not available that day. You can't tell me what you're doing. I'm sitting down, crossing my legs, enjoying some music, reading a book. I'm doing something for me. Come on. And I don't owe any explanation to anybody else outside of me and Jesus for me resting. Come on, somebody, man, somebody. See, we all need rest. We all need Sabbath. We all need vacation. And watch this. We also all need enjoyment. Ecclesiastes says this way. There's nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that his soul, his entire being, should enjoy the good in his labor. One translation says his soul should enjoy the good of all of his labor. It's a shame to, to have worked your whole life building something and not be around to see it. This also, he said, I saw was from the hand of God. In other words, being able to enjoy the work of your hands, being able to enjoy the fact you've worked hard, you built something, you put some savings aside, it's a gift from God. And it is really a shame and it's sad to see so many people work, 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 retire, then pass away. I'm challenging you this year. Make it your goal. I'm not going to be that person that spends all my time saving it all to the end, only just to leave it all to somebody else because I didn't hang around long enough to enjoy the fruit of my labor. Save some for the kids and the grandkids. The Bible says that's what a good man or woman does. But hear me out. Enjoy something while you still got breath in your body. Slow down long enough to smell your own flowers, man. Slow down long enough to enjoy the beauty of a sunrise and a sunset where you're not rushing from pillar to post. You're actually able to take it in and thank God for how good he's been to you. Amen. And then the last rhythm I want to give you is that we need to have the rhythm of worship. Rhythm of worship. Luke chapter 4, verse 16 says, When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, Jesus went as usual. Everybody say, as usual. As usual. He went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read the scriptures. Luke 22 says, Then accompanied by his disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went as usual, which means this is what he did all the time. He went as usual to the Mount of Olives to pray. See, every week Jesus went to the synagogue as usual, it was his routine. It's what he did. He built his life around it. And he went to the synagogue and he stood up to read the scriptures on a regular basis. In fact, daily, Jesus got up before the sun rose most of the times. And he went to his place to pray. He even had a special garden that he would walk to to go and commune with his father. It was his routine. 
to be able to go and spend time with the Father God. As a church, we have a, a worship rhythm. Our services start on time at a certain time. We have small group semesters that start and then they stop at certain times. We have 21 days of prayer that happen in August, then happens again in January. There's a rhythm to how we worship together. Watch this. Every head of household needs to establish a rhythm of worship for your family. See, we've got to get back to the place where corporate worship becomes a priority again. One of the casualties of the COVID pandemic is so many people flocked home because we couldn't meet together and we got used to looking up at the screen and hearing the songs and the message. But can I tell you, thank God for online and thank God for streaming. It is absolutely amazing when something happens and we can't come to the building. It's amazing an option to have when you know, you're on vacation or you're out of town or for some reason you're not feeling well. But can I tell you, we're in a time right now where online, unless you have some type of an autoimmune disease or something else that makes it tough for you to be in public, online should not be our first option. There's a beauty of what happens when we come together as believers. See, we, this, this is not just a press and play where we just listen to it. There's something that happens when we come together. There's something that happens when we press our way into the building. Even when you don't feel like it, you can be standing there and I'm not feeling it today. Then you look over to the right and the fire of God is on somebody next to you. Before you know it, your worship is gotten on. Before you know it, you're praising God with your whole heart. There's a reason why God said as we get close to the end, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And I think we've gotten to a place where we've become way too casual with missing church. Don't get me wrong. Showing up at the building is not what saves you. But there is a blessing. There is a power in the corporate anointing. I think one of the things we've, we've, we really, we've really messed up is that we've taught a bad lesson to our children. So many of us have taught our children that basketball on a Sunday is more important than church. And flag football on a Sunday is more important than church. And dance and cheerleading on a Sunday is more important than church. I don't mean for a two-week or maybe a three-week window. I mean, but when you allow a whole season and for six, seven, eight weeks, you got to miss church. You say, but they, they, they're playing. But let me, let me ask you the question. In a time of trouble, are you going to call on your coach? Or are you going to call on Jesus? And see, we wonder why our kids end up becoming adults and now they're not having to go to church and they choose not to. See, it blesses my heart to look out here on this front row and I see my, my children with their hands in the air, worshiping God. and they, they, mo Most of the songs on my worship playlist, I get them from my kids. They send them to me. That doesn't happen by happenstance. It happens, number one, because we never put ministry ahead of our kids. It happened, number two, because we did our best to set a good example for them to realize that serving God is not a bad thing. And it happened, number three, hear me out, because they didn't have a choice. You're going to come to church. There was, there, was no, there was no joining some basketball league or football league that's going to have you on Sunday every week. There's a couple times where they had a basketball game on a Sunday, had a football game on a Sunday, but it wasn't a regular because it was real clear in our house that Sunday is a priority because God is first place in our lives. As a result, today, a couple of our kids are adults. The other one's a teenager driving and even times we're on vacation, on sabbatical, and they don't have to come to church, we look up, and they've gotten up to come to church on their own. Why? Because if you teach your kids that church is not that important when they're teenagers, 
And when they become adults, they're going to listen to you and realize it's not that important. We need to esteem coming together. We need to value corporate worship because there's something amazing that happens when we come together to worship God. Anything that's important, we ought to make it a priority. We ought to automate our giving to make sure that you never miss your tithe. We ought to schedule a do not disturb season so you can get your prayer time in. We'll let our customers and clients know that you can reach me every time, but Sundays is my time to commit my morning to Jesus Christ. Here's my last quote. Just like Jesus, we all need a rhythm of work. We all need a rhythm of rest. and We all need a rhythm of worship. If you believe that, lift up your hands and give God some worship even now. Come on, lift up your hands and worship him. For your name is great and greatly to be praised. I sing praises to your name. Oh, Lord, praises to your Lift up your hands all over the room, please. I want you to take about 30 seconds right now. Just examine your heart. Examine your heart. Where am I when it comes to work? Have I treated work like a curse? Have I started giving the bare minimum? You say, but that's, I'm not in my purpose. Whether you're in your purpose or not, give it your all. Work as if unto Jesus. And ask him to help you get into your purpose.
Work is not a curse. Work is a blessing. I need a rhythm there. Check your heart as it pertains to rest. Do you have a good rhythm of rest? Do you have a good solid off day or two during your week? Do you have at least one day that you set aside as a Shabbat, a Sabbath, where you stop all work, you allow yourself to rest, you get your nails done, your hair done, you allow yourself to just be pampered. You take care of your own mental well-being. We wouldn't have so many mental health issues if we did a better job taking care of our own selves. Check your heart concerning rest. And check your heart concerning worship. Do I have a rhythm, man? Have I gotten to the place where every little thing makes me miss church? Every little reason keeps me from gathering together with the saints. Have I allowed my computer and my phone and the TV and YouTube to become an excuse just sit at home when I could? I'm strong enough. I'm healthy enough to get up and come to the house of God to honor God with the rest of my people. See, God is faithful. He's just. And God wants you to get your rhythm back. In the beginning, God created a rhythm. And he wants you to get your rhythm back. Father, we thank you. And we repent even right now for being out of rhythm. We repent, Father, that our beat hasn't been right. We thank you right now, Lord, for helping us to get our rhythm back. We love you today in Jesus' name. Now, every head is bowed. All eyes are closed. Please don't leave out just yet. We're not done. Give me five minutes. We'll have you out of here. If you're in this room or if you're online and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to pray for you. Nobody said you were a bad person. You could actually be one of the nicest people in the building and still not be saved. That's because salvation is not something that we earn from God by being good. Salvation is a free gift. God offers it to mankind through his son, Jesus Christ. But like any gift, one person can offer it. The person on the other side has got to receive it. So right now, God is offering to you the gift of salvation. He's offering to you to have all of your sins paid for. He's offering you to never have to go to hell because Jesus paid the price for you. You say, what is he asking for me in return? He's not asking you to promise to be perfect. He's not asking you to even commit to all the stuff you'll promise you'll never do again. What he's asking you to do is make a decision today to completely surrender your life to him. Let him take you where you are. Let him walk you into a miraculous brand new life. So if you're here and you're not saved, I want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you up to the front of the auditorium. But right there in your seat or right there online, I want to lead you in a simple prayer. But it will change your life forever. So I'm going to count to three. When I get to three, if you are ready to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, when I get to three, I want you to shoot your hand up as high as you can. I want you to be bold with it. Don't slow down. Don't wait because the devil's going to try everything he can to talk you out of it. When I get to three, if you are tired of trying to live this life by yourself, and you're ready to surrender it all, give it all over to Jesus Christ. When I get to three, I want you to lift up your hand as high as you can. Here we go, one, two, three. All over the building, thank you. Hands are up, I see that hand, another hand there, thank you. Another hand there, another hand there, thank you. Beautiful there, thank you, see that hand there. Thank you, sir, thank you. Another hand there, thank you. Another hand right there, thank you. Another hand there, beautiful. All over the room, hands are up. Nothing for you to be ashamed of, I promise you. This is not one of those churches where we're gonna call you up to the front and embarrass you. I'm gonna have you stay right there at your seat. I'm gonna lead you in a simple prayer. And the reason I want you to raise your hand is so heaven has it on record. Heaven's writing your name in that Lamb's Book of Life. Anybody else? Anybody online? Just raise your hand right there at home. Anybody else before we pray? Beautiful. Beautiful. Hands all over the room. Every one of you that raised your hand, I want you to whisper this prayer. Say this to yourself. Say, Dear God in heaven, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place. He paid the price for my sin, but I know you raised him from the dead, and he's alive right now. So Jesus, come into my heart now. Save me, forgive me, make me brand new. I surrender my life to you for the rest of my days. And according to the Bible, I am born again. 
Amen. Come on, Impact Church. Get excited with us today.